Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, all you wonderful, wonderful F1 fans around the world. It is time. It is race weekend, and this is the third and final back-to-back-to-back race. We are in Brazil. And if you're hearing my voice, it can only mean two things. One, that my name is Kelsey, and two, you are listening to the newest edition of F101. And as always, we're going to start off this episode. These are the hot topics. This is everything you need to know in the world of F1. A rule change this weekend that will affect the rest of the 2023 season as well as the 2024 season. What is this rule change you're asking? Well, you are no longer allowed to stop in the pit lane before you get to a certain point at all forever. This comes on the trail of the U.S. Grand Prix, where there was no less than three different reprimands for three different drivers for essentially impeding the entire pit lane to get out on track to get their you know, laps in, to get their time in, to get their speed up, to warm up the tires. So what they've done in Brazil this time is that you are not allowed to stop at all. There is a certain line where all of a sudden you can go up to full race speed. You can start to slow down as long as you're on the far right hand side after that line anytime before that you are not allowed to put space between yourself and the driver ahead of you this is meant to get all the drivers up and going in a reasonable amount of time as well as to not give any drivers any specific advantages let's say you've got some cold tires or you've got some new tires that you haven't had a whole lot of time to practice with and you need a little bit of extra distance to warm them up kind of giving you a little bit of an advantage for every against everyone else who has that tire they're taking that advantage away. They're trying to make everybody on a level playing field. I think this is a great idea. It keeps qualifying moving at a rate at a reasonable pace. It keeps the drivers a lot more honest than they used to be. And I think it's just one of those black and white rules that just kind of positively affects every single driver and every server, every single team, no matter what, no one gets an advantage from it over anybody else. So yay, the FIA is finally getting a rule correct. Next hot topic, and this is a big one. This is a personnel change that you may or may not have heard about so far in the social media and from every other pundit out there, is that um, Mercedes has officially fired Mike Elliott. Now, for those of you who don't know who Mike Elliott is or what position he held, uh, Mike Elliott was the former F1 chief technical officer for Mercedes. Uh, He was responsible before he got fired. His title was former technical director, uh, which means he was essentially the dude that would approve everything that was a technical change on the car, whether it was the wing shape, wing size, side pods, no side pods, all that kind of stuff. He was in charge of at one point. Mike Elliott had a fantastic track record for being in his position for Mercedes for years. He was very good at his job. Unfortunately, in my opinion, he made one mistake that really set Mercedes a little bit too far back last season and the beginning of this season. And that was the very controversial and, in my opinion, absolutely 100% useless, no side pod design for the Mercedes car. He approved it. He liked it. He kept the design going along with the aerodynamic developments of it. And it set Mercedes too far back. So he was replaced. He wasn't fired. He was demoted. 
from technical director to chief technical officer. So essentially what that means is he went from approving all of the designs that everyone else came up with to becoming the guy who came up with some of the designs. But I think his, his mistakes just, although be it one big mistake, it was just too big for Mercedes to ignore. Um, we don't know for sure if it was Mike's call to leave or if Mercedes just decided that you were done and it was just an amicable uh, separation. The title is that Mercedes did fire him. So I guess it was one of those, you know, it's not what you've done for us lately. It's what you've done for us in the past. Uh, he just, yeah, he just kind of, I think, wore out his welcome, wore out his time. Uh, huge loss for Mercedes, in my opinion. Mike Elliott has been phenomenal in what he does. He made one, you know, it, may, it was a crucial error. It was a big design mistake. But if you don't think outside the box, you never know where the edge of that box is. And you don't know the limitations that you can push to without going to those limits. He went a little bit. I don't say he went too far with the no side pod design. He went far enough to figure out that you can't go that far without side pods. The car does not work. Yes, it did send them, set them behind for this season for the first half. Okay, that sucks. But it gave Mercedes a threshold of which you can't go that far in this direction. So what do they do? They kind of overcompensated and went all the way to the other side with the rest of the grid, gave them absolutely massive side pods and then made them smaller as they went for more aero or for less aerodynamic drag downforce, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but I think it was the nail in Mike Elliott's coffin. I do not expect him to be out of a job for very long. Now he has, he's got too much, experience and great ideas and a fantastic track record for him not to have a job in 2024. Now, has there any, has there been any links for any team to pick him up? Absolutely not yet. As far as I know, everyone still has a full team of designers and directors and technical technicians and all this kind of stuff. But the off season, you never know. If you offer somebody enough money to leave, you will have the money to bring somebody in. So Mike Elliott, Officially fired from Mercedes, and I do think he will be back sooner rather than later. And in a very quiet weekend, that is the F1 hot topics. Not a whole lot going on, which is kind of nice to hear that they're concentrating more on the racing than they are, you know, off the track. We'll call it shenanigans. But it is a sprint weekend, so let's get into qualifying right away. We're in Brazil. The weather in Brazil is very unpredictable. Now, it's not always horrible. It's not always amazing. You generally get, because of the time of year, you generally get a little bit of everything over the entire weekend. Generally and traditionally, Brazil was never a sprint weekend. Yes, I've said it a couple times in the past episodes that this is the last sprint weekend. This is the last sprint weekend. Well, there's only officially two races left in the season. So this is actually, I promise, swear to God, this is actually the last sprint weekend of the 2023 season which means you are dealing with more weather and a longer race weekend than you normally would. So Q1, Sunday morning, not too bad of a time for us. This is the qualifying for the race on Sunday. 60% chance of rain right off the bat. This was the massive, the massive deal that they had to, the massive obstacle that may or may not present itself. 60% chance is not absolutely horrible, but it's also not exactly great. These drivers are getting smart. 
well, these they always have been smart, but they've done this enough to know if there's 60% chance they want to get out as soon as possible. You're going to queue up that line. You're going to try to get your qualifying time in as soon as possible, just in case that rain might show up. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. But these guys, these drivers were definitely not taking any chances whatsoever. They did not want to get caught out in the rain. Unfortunately, though, some racers did get caught out by the brand new pit rules. So George Russell is officially the first, well, not call it victim, but he is the first person to break the pit lane uh, obstruction rules. He's going too slow. He's obstructing people from getting out faster than they need to be. Now, he didn't actually stop in the pit lane. He just slowed down, like idling slow. Like, you know, when you put your car, take your brake off the car, if you've got an automatic, it just kind of moves by itself. That's essentially what he was doing in first gear. Literally just moving enough where his car wouldn't stall, but he's not stopped. So automatically right away, the drivers are trying to find that gray area with this rule. Well, George Russell and everybody else learned there is no gray area when it comes to this rule. You're either going to get penalized, either you do it or you don't. Now, the penalty didn't show up until later in qualifying, but we're going to get into that. The weather for the time that they had ridiculously fast from first to 12th. By the time they were done, they were a 10th of a second difference. These guys were absolutely hauling ass. They were not on soft tires. They were on medium tires this time. And it was a little bit of a mix just because the mediums have a little bit longer shelf life on the road, but it takes them longer to get going, but you've got rain coming and they're a little bit more reliable in the rain than the softs. But the softs, just because of the degradation and how warm it was in Brazil or is in Brazil, the tires for the softs would only get you a couple of laps in, but not enough for a full qualifying. So what do you do? Most of them were on mediums. A couple of guys went on softs when they didn't like how long it took the mediums to come back. And what I mean come back is you do a couple of laps, they go really, really well, and then they go through like a cold section where you don't have as much downforce, you don't have as much grip, you've got a little bit more oversteer, but then they come back into their zone where you get the grip you need, which means you can get the times you get. But by the time that happened, the rain was threatening. And we're going from blue sunshine to like, it looked like, not the world was ending, but it looked like an eclipse. It went ridiculously dark and then the wind started to pick up. If there's two things these cars do not like and do not run well in, it is rain and wind. More on the wind factor. A lot of oversteer, a lot of corrections in the first half of qualifying just because it was, the weather was blowing that rain in, which gives it a lot of extra wind. Now, some cars do do better in the wind than others. The RB19 is in that middle of the road, a little bit higher up. It does well in wind. The Alfa Romeos and some of the Williams and the Alfa Taris, they do okay, but it's not amazing. Anything above about 15 kilometers, those cars that I just mentioned, the Alfa Tari and the, the Salbas and all them, they don't do so well, and it really showed in Q1. By the time Q1 was done, it was a major factor that these cars were performing but the wind was making them drive a little bit more cautiously than they wanted to just because the rain was showing up. Bottom five, from 16th to 20th in order, Yuki Sonoda in 16th, Daniel Ricciardo in 17th. Massive drop compared to where he was last week in Austin. It's not like he was driving bad. He had a couple of new pieces on the car. It's because of the weather and the conditions. He did the best that he could with the car that he had. 
Valtteri Bottas in 18th, Logan Sargent in 19th, Joe Guan Yu in 20th. Salba was not having a good weekend in general. They only had an hour of setup time, which is not a lot for these cars just because it's a sprint weekend. Salba has a tendency to do really bad when you don't have enough time to set it up and work out the little gremlins that they've got, and it showed in qualifying. Q2, moving on in, the rain is starting to threaten once again with a little bit of drops here and there, but the wind was blowing so hard some of the drivers didn't really notice. Now, when I say the wind was blowing hard, I'm not talking like 30 kilometers an hour, 35 or even 20. We're talking like 12 to 15. Same as Q1, maybe a little bit more. But unlike Q1, the guys that made it to Q2, they've adapted by this point because they're just that good. They've learned that when you're making this corner, you let off the gas. When you're on that corner, maybe a little bit more brake. This corner where you would normally brake because of the wind, you can hit that gas a little bit more and it will correct you just perfectly around that corner. Subsequently, track times are dropping. It looked absolutely fantastic. Top five or bottom five guys, a little bit unlucky, especially 11 and 12. Those are the two hosses. The upgrades they brought in Houston, they've done more simulations. You can tell that the drivers are a little bit more used to the setup. Again, it's a sprint weekend, so it's not really helping them with their upgrades, but they're getting more used to them. Nico Hulkenberg loses out on 10th by, you know, thousands of a second. It wasn't a massive drop from where they should be, but it's a little bit lower than they want to be just because of the upgrades that they've got on the car already. Bottom five from 11th to 15th. Like I mentioned, Nico Hulkenberg in 11th, Kevin Magnussen in 12th, Alex Albon in 13th, Esteban Alcon in 14th, Pierre Gasly in 15th. Alpine, not a horrible qualifying, definitely lower than they want to be, but only by a couple of spots. Generally, Alcon and Gasly, they're hovering around, you know, 9th to 13th spot, so a little bit lower than they normally would be. Um, they're having trouble with the setup of the car because it's a very track-specific setup that you need to get, but again, you only have an hour to get things figured out. It's not exactly on the spot where they need to be. They are trying their absolute best. Pierre Gasly and Alcon are very competent drivers they're very good drivers they're very consistent drivers just sometimes it's just not your weekend moving into q3 this is where things get a little bit more interesting remember how i mentioned that russell got nailed for impeding in, in quality one well he's made it all the way to q3 which is great for him as he always should be because he's in a mercedes that's very reliable but a little draggy this weekend but we'll get into that a little bit later before the end of Q3, little picture comes up. Russell's been notified. He's been given a two-place grid penalty for impeding in Q1. So no matter where he finishes, he's automatically going to finish two spots down. Subsequently, Gasly and Esteban Ocon as well also get nailed with a two-place grid penalty for impeding in Q2. Now remember, they're both out. But it doesn't really matter at this point because no matter where they were, it's two spots down from where they were. They are massively, massively not fucking around when it comes to this rule. They've made a statement. These guys should have been able to adjust at this point. But Gasly and Ocon at the same time, they did the same thing that Russell got nailed for. They didn't stop. They weren't impeding that way. They weren't at a full stop. They were that idling speed. And the FIA is like, nope, you're not doing that. That is a gray area. We don't want the gray areas. It's black or white. Either you're going at the speed you're supposed to or you're getting a penalty. These guys get nailed with a penalty 
that they don't need to get it's un it's unforced it's a lazy penalty yeah you want spots you want space to warm up your tires but just go with the flow you'll get that space on the track hey these guys wanted to fuck around and hey they found out q3 when you look at it compared to regular q3s it was a little bit more see frantic a little bit more get up and go because that weather just keeps creeping in even a little bit more a little bit more the rain hasn't stopped or i said the wind hasn't stopped it's definitely lessened a little bit but now all of a sudden you hear drivers report i see rain i've got rain on my visor i've got rain on the car this and that their warning is about four minutes Okay, so these guys, normally in Q3, you go for a couple of warm-up laps, and then you sit there. You do one really good fast lap, you get your time in, and then you wait for the last about six minutes of the race, or six minutes of qualifying. Then you go out for one more really quick lap, and then you're done. They can't do this this time. This absolutely messes with their routine. It really just kind of throws a, a, throws a wrench in the gears, and you can kind of see some drivers are more comfortable with it, than other drivers are max obviously it doesn't matter if you're going early if you're going late if you're going on time he is going to kill those lap times and he was absolutely on par for the weekend yet again showing everybody why the rb19 is as good as it is subsequently leclerc super fast really good consistency with the ferrari they've got everybody in a they got all their ducks in a row strategies are fantastic they're playing the tire weather game very very well as well as McLaren. They're on that roll with all the new upgrades, a little bit of tweaks here and there, the maturity of their drivers. It doesn't seem to matter that they only have an hour to warm up on sprint weekends. doesn't matter if they've got a full two days of full practice. It's like a regular weekend. McLaren, weather, rain, shine, wind, doesn't matter. They're here to play, and the times are reflecting that. A bit of a surprise team right now, just for the stretch of not so good performances they've had lately all of a sudden aston martin is in the mix whatever they've done to kind of go back to go forward if you know what i mean whatever upgrades they've tweaked and gone back to kind of more of the original version of the car they've had seems to work really really well in brazil fernando alonso ridiculously fast good pace cars on rails and just works his way up by the time everything's all said and done he's got fourth which is where about Fernando Alonso should be. But Lance Stroll, and it's, I know I've ragged on him the entire season. I still think he needs to not be in Formula One for 2024. I still think that the only reason he's there is because his dad owns part of the team, so on and so forth. But this weekend showed a bit of a spark on why he's actually in Formula One. He didn't have a spectacular qualifying. It wasn't flashy. It wasn't you know, setting sector times that's blowing everybody out of the water. I don't even think he had the fastest lap at all during Q3, but he was fast. He was consistent. He was great. All of a sudden, when the fastest laps come in just before the rain starts to hit, Lance Stroll's in third. And like, there was no crashes. There was no uh, yellow flags. There was no debris on track. Like, nothing, no drama happened. This was legitimately on merit now is this a flash in the pan for him is there some kind of magic in the car this weekend that just gives him that speed 
Does he have a different setup from Alonzo? Does he have different parts? Does he maybe he have a, a couple of new upgraded pieces here and there that Alonzo doesn't have? It doesn't look like it. It just looks like everything is coming together for a very reputable and very honest weekend for Lance Stroll, which is amazing to see for him, finally. And it was a good thing, too, because by the time Lance Stroll got everything settled and he gets into his third and Fernando Alonso's getting his fourth position, the rain hits. With about six minutes left, all of a sudden it starts to rain. These guys are in the pit lane already. Some of them are in the garage. They want to try to squeeze in that one last lap when everyone else is being covered and staying dry. Well, when the rain starts at six minutes left, by the time there's four minutes and 19 minutes left, there's lightning, there's thunder. It is just absolutely pouring out. Uh, there has been videos and there are reports of parts of the grandstands where the fans are sitting. The wind hit so hard, it was ripping the roof off of the grandstands. Thankfully, reports have come in that no one was hurt, no one was injured, nobody died, which is amazing to hear. The FIA and Formula One very intelligently red flagged the entire rest of the session at four minutes and 19 seconds left, and that was it for qualifying for the race on Sunday. So, your top 10, with penalties included, are as follows. Max Verstappen on pole, Leclerc on second, Lance Stroll in third, Fernando Alonso in fourth, Lewis Hamilton fifth, Lando Norris in sixth, Carlos Seitz in seventh, George Russell is in eighth, uh, Checo Perez is in ninth, and Oscar Piastri is in tenth. Not a lot of surprises there, except for Oscar Piastri. I just, he's doing well, but he seems to be getting caught out with the timing of when he's doing his runs. With the weather being the way that it is, you follow the lead of all the veterans. If they're going out early, you go out early with them. You stay with the big boys for as long as they're out because they know, you know, a little bit more in and outs than you do. So if they're going out early, you go out early. If they're coming in early, there's a reason for it. If you're in the mix, you come in early. You don't try to squeeze that last-minute lap in. In this case, though, he probably could have gone for one more flying lap. Uh, he did have some tire degradation issues, though. He was chewing through those tires a little bit faster than he wanted to. Each team still has an allocation of tires for the entire weekend. So if you go through many sets, too many sets of tires in qualifying, you're not going to have those tires available to you for the sprint shootout for the sprint race, for the actual race on Sunday. So, albeit intent, a little bit disappointing for Piastri. I think it was the, I don't think he had a choice. I think he had to come in, not do an extra lap, just for tire allocation. So, with Friday qualifying done and dusted for the race on Sunday, it is time to head into the extra point, very exciting part of the sprint weekend, and that is the sprint shootout, which is the qualifying for the sprint race and the sprint race itself. So, let's get right into it. Sprint shootout. So, qualifying. You still have a Q1, 2, and 3. If you're not uh, if you're not in the know of how a sprint weekend works, we're going to go through it one more time. You have qualifying 1, 2, and 3, just like you would a regular qualifying session, except they're shorter. They're about half the time. So, you got to really hurry up and go, especially for as tumultuous as the weather can be in Brazil. You want to make sure you get out nice and early. You get that track temperature in, you get that track time down, and you try to get as high as you can. As well as qualifying one and two, you have to use mediums. Everybody across the board has to use the same tire. Quality three now, you just use softs. 
they've gotten away from having to use the mediums, the hards and the softs, just because a lot of the temperature and the time that is allowed for the qualifying for the sprint weekends didn't give the hard tires enough time to actually bring them into the optimal performance window. So the FIA Formula One and Pirelli did get together and decided that you're just going to stick with the mediums and the softs. This uh, evaluation and this rule change, if you want to call it, is expected to continue for the 2024 sprint season where you will just see the mediums and the softs. But Q1, everybody on mediums, everything's going well. Everyone's cruising along. It's a much nicer day. Track temperature is about 45 to 46 degrees centigrade. Ambient temperature, you're looking at about 32. The tires are very, very happy at this point. It's that right temperature window where you've got a ton of grip, so you can use the mediums. They're not going to fall off really, really fast. You're going to get those nice consistent track times. It comes down to more of the performance of the driver than the performance of the wheels. Except for the fact that when you still have oversteer like Esteban Alcon did, and you go careening into the backside of another car doing about 240 kilometers an hour, and you end up in the wall yourself, which is exactly what happened in Q1 Massive crash between Esteban Alcon and Fernando Alonso. Esteban Alcon definitely 100% taking the brunt of this incident. He ends up going out in Q1. He's on a fast lap. Okay, so picture this. Fernando Alonso is on your right-hand side. So picture this. We're going left to right. Fernando Alonso is on your right-hand side. He's about a car length and a half on the track which means to his left, there's about a car and a half width that you can pass by. Esteban Ocon is not doing exactly fantastic in the qualifying times, so he needs another fast run. So he's going literally as fast as his car will possibly let him go, and he's really having that car on the edge. The only issue with the Alpines this weekend was that they had a little bit of oversteer, which means that back end has a tendency to kick out a little bit, which means you have to correct where your car is going which means you lose control for like a split second, theoretically, because your car is sliding in a direction that it is deeming necessary to go and you have no control. So these drivers are obviously the best drivers in the world. They all have had experience in correcting the direction that the car is going. Generally, you have a lot of room when this happens. Either you correct it or you end up in the wall. In this case, Esteban Alcon did end up correcting it. It was fantastic, but at the speed he was going, and the size of the oversteer and the correction that he had to do, his back right tire ends up just smashing into the front right tire of Fernando Alonso. Alcon's tire comes off the car. The rubber is off. It's rolling down the road. He ends up spinning out and just smashing into the tech barrier, pro tech barrier. Just demolishes the car. Fernando Alonso. In my opinion, and there's a lot of controversy about this, and there's a lot of discussion if there should have been a penalty, if it was just a racing incident, Fernando Alonso's car is relatively unscathed. He gets smashed in that tire, which locks it up. He gets a flat. He is able to make it all the way around the track to get that car repaired. The session is officially red flagged. The controversy comes in going, did Fernando Alonso get in the way of Esteban Ocon? Or was this just a racing incident where Alcon had an overcorrection and it just ended up hitting another car? The other question is, did Fernando Alonso give Alcon enough room 
to pass him because Fernando was not on a on an out he was on an outlap. What's called what is called an outlap, which is essentially you're just getting the tires into speed or into temperature. You're not going for a lap time. You're just kind of driving around the track. Did he give Esteban Ocon enough room? In my opinion, absolutely yes, he did. You don't have to get all the way off the track when a car is coming behind you that's going at full speed for track time. You just have to give him enough to pass. Fernando Alonso gave him enough room to pass. It was the overcorrection from the understeer which sent Esteban Ocon into Fernando Alonso, in my opinion. Ends up demolishing the Alpine car, though. Esteban Alcon is absolutely out. It kills the rest of the session. So wherever you end up being is where you are. The bottom five are as follows. Esteban Alcon in 16th, just because he did have a track time recorded. So he finishes 16th in the Q1. Lance Stroll is in 17th. Joe Guan is in 18th. Alex Albon is in 19th. And Logan Sargent's in 20th. Besides the major crash from Esteban Alcon, the slightly concerning thing that I see is Lance Stroll and how inconsistent his qualifying time is this weekend. Regular qualifying session with a chance and what ended up being an absolutely horrible weather day gets third. Where the next day, it's a shorter qualifying time, but it's perfect weather. It's perfect conditions for the tires. They haven't changed the car. You're not allowed to touch it. It's essentially park Fermi rules the entire weekend, so you can't change anything. So everything's the same. He just can't find the time. He ends up being in 17th. What's gone? What's different? I don't want to say what's gone wrong, but what has changed from the Friday to the Saturday? It's going to be very interesting to keep an eye on him for the rest of the weekend. So Q2 starts. We're back in mediums again. Fernando Alonso is still getting his car worked on. Now, you are allowed to do this just because it's qualifying. As long as you get some kind of qualifying time in, if it happens to be fast enough to get into Q3, then fantastic. If it's not, you're done in Q2. Obviously, Esteban Alcon is not in Q1 or in Q2 just because of his crash, and he finished in 16th. They worked on Alonso's car, and they just, they just kept working and working and working and working. Unfortunately... By the time it hit about the six-minute mark in Q2, they decided, no, Fernando Alonso is not going to compete in Q2 because you have to keep in mind that instead of rushing to get him out for qualifying, they decided to take the extra time because they are allowed to, because there was a crash, you have to replace parts due to damage. They are allowed to work on the car because in a few hours, they have the actual sprint race that they have to be ready for. Esteban Alcon's team essentially did the same thing. They had to start, they had maybe four hours to put that entire car back together and make it race ready for the sprint race later that day. So Fernando Alonso is out. He's not racing anymore. I don't even think he set a time. So he finishes 15th right away. Haas is much faster than they were on Friday. Hulkenberg, Magnussen, again, they're going really, really well with the condensed time. And the, fast, and the better weather, they are absolutely going faster. They're understanding their upgrades more. It was a much more successful qualifying time for them. Unfortunately for Haas, every other team was also taking advantage of the nice weather and the better track temperature and the traction from the tires. They still end up 11th and 12th, but they ended up flipping positions. Magnussen was in 11th, Hulkenberg was in 12th. But you can definitely see the promise in the Haas cars because the Saturday 
afternoon and the Sunday were supposed to be much better weather, which is more indicative of a Haas getting more points and performing just a little bit better. A lot to look forward to. They were much faster than the last weekend. I expect them to be as fast, if not maybe a little faster, in Vegas the next race, and then when they go to Abu Dhabi for the last race of the year. This is really setting them up very, very well for the rest of 23, and from my opinion, as long as they don't tweak too many things, I think Haas will be in a good spot for the beginning of 24. Besides that, these guys were just hauling ass. They guy, They were absolutely loving this better weather. They were absolutely getting those track times down. Uh, no blowouts from the tires, which is fantastic. I think Pirelli fixed whatever issue they had with the sidewall cracks a couple weeks ago. Uh, nothing to worry about there anymore. Pirelli hasn't brought out any statements of if they found anything, any kind of defects. They just kind of worked through it and moved on. So your bottom five from Q2, Magnussen in 11th, Hulkenberg in 12th, Gasly in 13th, Bottas in 14th, and obviously Fernando Alonso in 15th. Pierre Gasly, Alpine, they, they're trying. They're really, really trying. Okay, we thought Friday, because the weather sucked, they didn't do so well because they had to deal with the rain and the wind and everything else. Saturday, beautiful weather, no wind, no rain, great track temperature, still in the middle to bottom half of the grid. This is not looking so well for the Alpines this weekend. Valtteri Bottas as well. Matt Salba, again, thought it was going to be the difference in the weather was going to help the car. Not at all. I just think they missed the setup for this weekend because they didn't have a lot of time. And they're just going to kind of have to, they're going to have to limp and struggle through this weekend, I think. Q3 comes around. Sets up for a very fast Q3. Now, these guys, everyone's allowed to use softs. This is where everybody smiles and gets a little happier than they should be. Just because you know the speeds are going to be there, the traction's there, it's going to be a fantastically fast qualifying. Except that nothing fucking happened for the first six minutes. Literally, you could hear crickets just chirping. The commentators did their best to fill in the time, fill in the spots, fill in what should be on-course action that never actually happened. What everybody, and I mean everybody, ended up doing is they didn't start to go out for their reconnaissance lap and warm up the tires until three minutes left in the session. This may just be me, and or it could be the rest of everyone out there except for the drivers but i absolutely fucking hate this when they do that it is a condensed session for a reason if they're just going to go out with the last three minutes left what's even the point in having a reduced time just put out the full regular track time that you normally would for qualifying because they're not going to go out with three minutes left anyways or maybe q3 for next year and sprint weekends are automatically three minutes you got to get out there put your laps in and you're done Enough of this sitting in there waiting for the time to go down because everyone just wants to do one recon lap, one hot lap, and then they're done. What's the point of having this massive setup if no one's going to do anything? The last couple of sprint races have been like this. They haven't gone out with the three-minute mark yet. They've gone out with about six minutes, but it's relatively the same thing. They waste half of the time they have because they want to save the tires because the tire allocation is the same for everyone across the weekend. You don't get extra sets. Okay, that's fine. Then adjust the format and the setup 
for the sprint weekend. Make Q3 four minutes. That's it. New tires, have them lined up, go. That's it. That's all you need to do. Stop with this. Well, there's six minutes left and they've got this kind of strategy and how many tires they have left and stop making the announcers in Formula One sound like announcers in American football, just wasting time, just trying to make up space, just trying to keep the viewers intrigued until something actually happens. Give them four minutes, get them out there, get them going as pos- as fast as they absolutely can, and then we'll just get it over with. But when these guys actually do go out for their recon and their fast laps, it is some of the most exciting qualifying times that you will see all year especially when you get a situation like McLaren, who I, I know I bring them up a lot, but they are, in my opinion, besides Red Bull winning everything, yay, congratulations, Red or McLaren is the story of the year. They are the team of the year, in my opinion, just because their first half of their season was absolute garbage. And then all of a sudden they start getting these times and they get this qualifying sessions in and they get these upgrades that actually work and do what they're supposed to do. And this is one of those examples where everybody was right on point. Norris was a beast when it came to qualifying. He didn't let the time scare him. He didn't let the fact that both Red Bulls were in there distract him or that he's racing against Mercedes, anything like that. It was just nose to the grindstone and here we go. Yeah, I've got Oscar Piastri with me. Both both of us are in there, which is great. I'm going to hold my own. I'm going to show everybody that I am still the number one driver in McLaren and that this car is lightning fast. And you know what? It absolutely was. Not only did he beat Max when it came to essentially the one lap shootout, he, in my opinion, owned Max with that qualifying time. He not just beat him. He put a statement down going on a one lap race that he can compete, if not beat uh, Max and a Red Bull car any day of the week. It was amazing to see. Everybody else kind of filed in where they needed to be. No controversy, no impeding, no crashes, no contact, nothing like that. Just pure, unadulterated Formula One speed and agility and accuracy. Top 10 going into your sprint shoot, or sprint race. Lando Norris is in one. Max Verstappen is second. Checo Perez in third. George Russell in fourth. Lewis Hamilton in fifth. A little bit of back and forth with these guys on the radio and within the team. I know the priority is starting to go a little bit more towards Hamilton because he needs the points to compete with Perez for second in the driver's championships. Adding a little bit of attention, unwanted attention to the team and a little bit of unwanted tension between the two drivers, but all in all, a very clean qualifying from them. Yuki Tsunoda in sixth, Leclerc in seventh, Ricardo is in eighth, Seitz is in ninth, and Oscar Piastri is in tenth. Just a quick note, the AlphaTauris, legitimate speed again this weekend. Now, regular qualifying didn't really go wonderfully for the entire team, but when it comes to the sprint shootout time, really good weather again, where the Formula One cars perform their best. AlphaTauri, no matter what people say about them, no matter how much they just call them the Red Bull sister team, even though they, they are, they're really showing small shades of the McLaren upgrade story. They were absolutely horrible in the first half of the season. Danny Rick breaking his wrist. Then you come back and you start to score a little bit more points. Liam Lawson came in, helped upgrade the car a little bit. Then all of a sudden you start to see this momentum happening. They're getting better. 
Now they're not scorching the track with fastest lap times. They're not beating the number two teams, but they're getting better and consistently better on a measurable base. And it's not just dumb luck. It's not because a car crashed or these two guys took each other out or deleted track times. It's legitimately on a fast car. It's on merit. So I'm very excited to see what AlphaTauri does in the sprint race as well as the race itself. So with all of that excitement and all of these weather changes and all of the sprint race time, shootout times all done, qualifying is finished. That sets us up for a wonderful, wonderful sprint race. Again, Saturday afternoon, fantastic weather. There was not a cloud in the sky. There wasn't any rain. There was no wind. It was perfect conditions to go racing. And that exactly what these guys did from the five lights out to the very end. It was wheel to wheel action. Very surprising. Very nice to see though. Alfa Atari all of a sudden starting to put some momentum together. You can see the direction that they wanted to head in and how they're getting there. They're kind of like McLaren 2.0 for the fact that they've had development changes that they wanted. They had new packages come out on their car that they wanted. And now they're just taking or meticulous steps on getting this next upgrade done and learning how it works and then continuing to improve upon that. They're fast legitimately. They've got standalone time, which is fantastic. They're competing with Mercedes. They're competing with Ferrari which at the beginning of the season would have been a pipe dream for them. But they've taken the time to do the development properly. They've got Danny Rick back, which always helps. Having that experience on your team always helps with not only the driving, but the morale and the development of your car. They're putting in some serious lap times. They're getting some serious points the last couple of weeks. They need to carry this momentum into the rest of the season, and they also need to continue to carry this momentum into 2024. One team that you would expect to have a fantastic sprint weekend, but is kind of on the back foot is Mercedes this weekend. Between the slight infighting between George Russell and Lewis Hamilton, it's not helping the fact that they got disqualified last weekend in Austin because their car was too low. Well, now they've made the car a little bit higher, but Mercedes is not nice on tires. They don't have... The car this year that Red Bull has or that Ferrari has to make these tires last. If anything, they go in the complete opposite direction. The nicer the weather, the harder they are on tires. And this was another weekend of that. Because they're hard on their tires, the window of performance for them is much, much shorter. Instead of getting a fantastic 24 laps out of a set of mediums, which should be easy to do, they're getting peak performance of maybe 15 to 20 laps, which means they're struggling for the last four, not only to just keep pace, but they have to defend more because they're getting passed so much, which just puts more wear and tear on the car. It puts more wear and tear on the tires. It also puts more wear and tear on the drivers themselves, especially for the fact that it just beats up on their confidence going, well, I thought we had a fast car. And well, realistically, you don't because you've got Alfred Tari's passing you. You've got look, uh, McLaren's just breathing down your neck. It's not giving the drivers a time to breathe, which means they can't necessarily concentrate on the best performances they need to get. But this sprint, this sprint race was fantastic. Max made some of the best passing out of corner one and two and down the straight stretches I have seen this season. He 
doesn't make Norris look like an amateur. You can just tell the performance from the RB19 to the McLaren car. It's not quite a total even playing field, but McLaren is making Red Bull work for it a little bit more now than they did at the beginning of the season. Max takes first place. They kind of swap positions. And from there on out, it was just literally as fast as fast can be. Ton of passing. Like I said, a lot of really good wheel-to-wheel action. There was no drama, which is fantastic. There was no crashes. There was no collisions. Nothing of that sort. It was just a pure, unadulterated, just go as fast as you possibly can kind of sprint race. It's one of those that if you've got an extra hour doing the dishes, something like that, you want something to watch, it's exciting. And that it's just pure music on a road, on wheels, on four wheels. This is one of the types of sprint races you want to watch. Top eight, in this case, gets points. One through eight gets points. Top 10 is the normal race breakdown, in this case, because of the sprint race. First place gets eight points, all the way down to the eighth person who gets one point. So let's go through your top eight right now. Max Verstappen ends up getting first, Lando Norris second, Checo Perez third, George Russell fourth, Leclerc is fifth, Yuki Tsunoda is sixth, Lewis Hamilton is seventh, and Carlos Seitz is eighth. The more points that Checo can put between him and Hamilton is definitely a bonus. With only two races left after Brazil, the more gap that he can put between him and Hamilton secures him the second place in the driver's championship. On the flip side, this makes Hamilton a little bit, not a little bit, makes Hamilton much more dangerous the last three races of the season. He's still within striking distance. One good race puts him right back in those points. Two good races puts him in second place for the drivers, which puts massive amounts of pressure on Perez. As we've seen this season, the more pressure Perez has, the less likely he is to shine at the opportune moment, at least this season. He's got a fantastic car underneath him, but I just think the pressure of being in second place but having such a close rivalry between third might be getting to him just a little bit. So with the sprint race done and dusted, the points handed out, it is now Sunday morning. It is now officially race day. It's time for the Brazilian Grand Prix. We are talking 15 turns, 71 laps, a distance of 4.3 kilometers per lap, top speed of 338.3 kilometers an hour. These guys are absolutely hauling ass on this track. Fastest lap time, a minute 10.5 done by Valtteri Bottas back in 2018. And I can tell you right now, the fastest lap done by your local boy, not local boy, but you're one of your favorites, Lando Norris, was a 112.4, I do believe. So a little bit off of the fastest lap, even with these low drag cars, they are a little bit heavier still. So you're seeing a lot of these fastest lap track times probably going to stay for at least a couple more seasons. And this race, this day was, it was drama filled. We had almost half of the field gone. We had a quarter of the field not finished by the time we were done, but we're going to get into that as we go along. First off, at the beginning of every race, everybody lines up and you do what's called a recon lap. So you're going around the lap before you line up for your grid and you get your final stuff sorted out. 
do a recon lap, which means you're still going top speed, but you're not racing it. You're just warming up your tires, getting the feel of the track, seeing if there's any kind of dust, debris, if there's any kind of wind that's popped up. It's, you're trying to get as much information personally as a driver as you possibly can before the race starts, which means nine and a half, nine point nine 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 percent of the time, nothing happens. Um, except for this time where <laughs> Charles Leclerc, who is starting second, ends up going into the wall on the recon lap. And we're like, what happened? What, what went wrong? Watching the replays back and forth, 25 minute or not a 25 minute break, a little bit of a, uh, a yellow flag, a little bit of a delay while he got the car off the track, which he was able to do by himself. It had, it ended up being, he had a hydro, he had a hydraulic leak, which essentially seized up his steering, and the direction he was facing was the direction he was heading, and there was absolutely one hundred percent nothing he could do about it before the race even started. Absolutely heartbreaking. The way the Claire was driving this weekend, the way the car was set up, the conditions were perfect. It was the car was on rails. Leclerc was coming in with massive confidence. In my opinion, if the hydraulic leak did not happen. Leclerc, top five, easily. Easily would have scored some massive points for Ferrari, which they need because they're still in the battle for Mercedes. But it's racing, folks. It is what it is. Sometimes just shit happens, and there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. So before the race even starts, Leclerc's out. So we're down to 19 cars. Okay. Leclerc is able to get the car into the off-ramp or offshoot of the, the track of where he is. So he had just enough hydraulic pressure to get the car back into drive. Gear one, just kind of do a little circle, and then he's out. Okay, so now we're going to restart again. It's a standing start. Okay, here we go. Three, two, one. Here we go. We're down the straight stretch again. Fantastic launch from Max, from Norris, from Perez. Lance Stroll dropped back a couple spots. His start was good, but not amazing. Uh, Carlos Seitz also lost a couple of spots as well. He was complaining that his clutch was absolute garbage and that they need to bin it when they get back to the factory, but he's still in it as well. They don't make it more than probably 200 meters down the straight stretch, and you're watching. There's a massive plume of smoke, and now all of a sudden you've got a... What would what would you call it? It kind of looked like a. It kind of looked like the car just kind of had a mind of its own, and Alex Albon ended up in the wall. And everyone's sitting there going, "Well, what happened?" You see a big plume of smoke because someone hit the brakes, someone skidded, and then all of a sudden, Alex is in the wall. There's another tire that goes flying. Um, I mean, Alonso is is trying to get out of the way. Ricardo's car gets hit by a tire that has flown off again. And you're sitting there going, what the fuck just happened? Like it, everything happened so fast. You had to break it down. Well, unfortunately it was contact between Kevin Magnuson and Alex Albon, which sent Albon into the wall, which blew off another tire. But these guys are going so fast. The tires bouncing. Ricardo's coming up. His wing gets hit by the tire, so all of a sudden he has to go in for repairs. Now, massive red flag, 25-minute delay, and all hell breaks loose. 
Okay, so Albon is absolutely 100% out. Kevin Magnuson is also 100% out. So let's break this down a little bit more just because so much chaos happens. Alexander Albon is on your right-hand side. He's going up, okay? Five lights go out. We're racing. He's going up on the right-hand side. He ends up getting pinched by Hulkenberg and Magnuson. Okay, so what he does is he gets pinched and then he gets contact with Magnuson and then he ends up taking out Hulkenberg at the same time. Magnuson continues, Hulkenberg is out. Super disappointing day for Haas because Hulkenberg was, in my opinion, on pace to get some points as well as he just had the pace and he was feeling good. As he said in the, the post-race interviews and that it was just a very, they were it was a very hopeful weekend for them. So Alex Albon's out. Hulkenberg is out. In the meantime, amongst all of the amongst all of the crashes and mayhem, all of a sudden Oscar Piastri gets dinged in the back by Hulkenberg. Now he's got damage to the back of his car. Daniel Ricardo's wing gets hit by a tire. So now he's in for repairs as well, which automatically puts Piastri and puts Daniel Ricardo down a lap. So as they're getting their cars repaired, which they just get repaired in time, they miss the warm-up lap, I mean, warm lap, which means they start from the pit lane, so they're automatically a lap down, unfortunately for both of them. They had an amazing race, as it was, that they both had pace. They both were expecting to be in the points. And if you take out the fact that they were a lap behind, Piastri and Ricardo, in my opinion, would have been in the top 10. They did have that kind of race pace. They had that consistency. Both cars were on rails. Both cars were solid even after repairs, which is a good sign for them. But, you know, it just it was one of those days where it just it didn't it didn't happen for them, which was definitely, definitely unfortunate. But within the chaos, by the time the crash happened and the yellow flag came out, all of a sudden people like Fernando Alonso was up five spots from where he started to where he finished when all of this chaos had happened. He had gained five spots. All of a sudden, Lance Stroll had lost, you know, at least three spots amongst all this. Max ends up passing Norris. So now all of a sudden he's in first, but Norris has got so much pressure on Max. It made for a very entertaining and very, very fast restart. Now, because of the weather, the restart was a standing start. So it was a three, two, one, go all over again. Everybody's back out there that needs to be. Everybody's fixed. Everybody's good. And off we go. Now, as we have seen all weekend, the weather's making a definite difference in this kind of race. Sunday was no different, except for the fact that Sunday was, again, a perfect day. No clouds, no rain, no wind. It was 40 plus degrees trackside, 32 degrees ambient. It was a fantastic, fantastic day for racing, which means these guys were absolutely smoking fast. Checo Perez, really, really good race start, really good restart. He was making some serious passes. He was being a bit of a pain in the ass to everybody else. Still stayed in the top five, but he made a really good play for the fact that he needs these points against Lewis Hamilton. Uh, he's making life for the Mercedes absolutely hell. He's doing really great passes, super smart passes as well. Great speed, lap 15. He's passing George Russell. He's making it look like George Russell doesn't know what he's doing. Super easy pass, made it look like it was nothing. And he's just showing 
the dominance of the RB19 compared to the Mercedes car again this year. Massive, massive boost for him going into the last two races. He needs this as well as he needs the points. At this point, Lance Stroll is back down to seventh. He started in third, down to seventh. You're kind of starting to think, what is the end of the day going to look like for Stroll? Is he even going to stay in the top 10? He does have a tendency to start really well and then kind of gets in his own way going, you know, not okay, not always in his own way, but mechanical issues sometimes. But he does kind of have a tendency to drive himself out of races every once in a while, uh, making bad decisions as in you know missing the apexes of the turns trying to pass in spots where you don't normally pass which kind of sets him behind um, running through his tires a lot faster than he needs to be trying to get a spot here and there to try to get some more points for the team fortunately for him today it was not one of those days he stayed calm cool collected uh he must be listening to alonzo a lot more it was a much more strategic race from Lance Stroll today, it was a much more controlled race. He knew he had a good car underneath him, combined with the really good weather, the really good track temperatures, and the fact that they were not blowing through tires kind of like they normally do sometimes. It was much better of a race for Lance Stroll this weekend. And he didn't really have to compete that hard against every other driver. He was passing, when he needed to pass, he was passing at will. When he needed to make a defensive move, it seemed a lot easier for him today compared to the rest of the, compared to literally every other race that has happened this year. It just, it seemed to come just together for him, especially when they need it the most because Aston Martin is still in the hunt against two other teams. Well, okay, one other team that they can still catch. They can still catch McLaren by the end of the season. They just need both drivers to start competing a little bit better than they do. Speaking of drivers that have gotten a little bit more confidence as the last couple of races have appeared, by lap 18, Perez is up into fourth. He's making it look super easy again. He's defending very, very well. He's passing again very intelligently, and he's not getting into situations where he's jeopardizing the pace that he has or the tire degradation or anything along that line. It's, I mean, it's great. It is really great. Everybody else, I mean, I don't mean to make it sound like they don't matter, but literally from 6th to 15th at this point, everyone is just a little bit of a DRS train, but a little bit of a more aggressive wheel-to-wheel racing than you would normally see, just because it's coming down to crunch time. Alpines are challenging Aston Martins a little bit more than they normally would. Um, Alfa Romeos are definitely challenging Alfa Ataris just as a group in general because they need those points. These points are worth millions and millions of dollars. Think about Austin last week. Think about the points that Daniel Ricciardo had gained, which put Alfa Atari ahead of Alfa Romeo. Those points are estimated to be worth between 10 and 15 million extra dollars that Alfa Atari will gain in their budget next season from sponsorships. And they'll be able to develop a little bit more. Like it's kind of like the bonuses for the team. That's how much these points are worth. So the mid-grid teams, we're talking from 6th to 10th at this point, the Alpines, the Williams, the Alfa Ataris, the Alfa Romeos, these guys are definitely going to push a lot harder than they normally would just because it's definitely crunch time. But when you push your cars 
that hard. I mean, that early in the race, it's a 71 lap race. You want to be able to push and get positions, but you also still want to make sure your car can actually, you know, last until the very end and you actually get to cash in on those points. Unfortunately, when you have a mid to lower grid team type of car that may not be as developed as the guys higher up on the grid, you start to run into issues. Joe Guan Yu, unfortunately, lap 24 ends up developing a water leak, like a water pump leak in the car, and he has to retire. He does make it all the way around the track so they can retire in the pit lane so it doesn't affect the race itself. But Alfa Romeo is just, they need this year to be over. They had promise at the beginning of the season. They had a little bit less promise at the middle of the season, and now there's like they just want this year to be done. They have fallen to ninth spot. They're only four points ahead of Haas, who has dropped to the bottom of the Constructors' Championship. I mean, one bad weekend, another bad weekend with Haas scoring any kind of points, and they're at the bottom of the Constructors just before they lose their major sponsorship from Salba and just before they start turning into Audi. It's not the greatest way to end a season, but they just want the season to end at this point. Fast forward to lap 41. All of a sudden, Valtteri Bottas just pulls into the pit lanes. Okay, he's going to get new tires? No. Nope. Valtteri is also retiring his car as well. Turns out he's got power unit issues. Hasn't been specified on what the issues were. Uh, generally, when you get a power unit issue, that means sometimes you're losing power to your steering, which is obviously incredibly dangerous. Or some of like your shifting doesn't work quite properly. You're kind of missing programs in your car. And it's generally just safer to, you know, just, call it a day, move on, wait for the next race. Again, another massive blow to Alfa Romeo. I just, I hope this season ends well for them. A couple of laps later, the retirements continue. George Russell has to continue or has to retire on lap 59 of 71. All of a sudden his power unit has oil temperature issues. And it wasn't just kind of like, oh, my engine's running a little hot. It was messaging coming up on the engineer's um, computer screen flashing across Russell's dashboard like imminent stop like you need to stop right now the oil temperature was so high it was cautioning for an imminent catastrophic failure for the engine if you can save parts at this point of the season and not take a penalty for the last two races which may lose you millions of dollars obviously it's the intelligent step to just you know what pull the car over, stop, say what you can, and just kind of take your lumps. And it was just, for George Russell to leave the race like this, for the type of race that he was having, is just, he was having one of those weekends where he could not wait for it to end fast enough. It was just horrible team management of anything else from Mercedes. I've mentioned it a couple of times, and it just, it's, reared its ugly head a little bit more where it looks to be that the team orders are more for Hamilton just because he's closer to Checo Perez when it comes to the driver's championship points than George Russell. If you look at it, Hamilton's in third, Russell's in eighth. So there's a massive point difference there. And when it comes to the point differential between their closest competitors, by the end of this race, Russell's got 156 points. His closest competitor is Leclerc with 170. Hamilton, on the other hand, 226 points. His next, he's still competing with Perez, who has 258. 
Obviously, when you do the math, Hamilton's a lot closer to his competition for third, or third fighting for second, than Russell is fighting for seventh position. So I don't know if it's intentionally or is just saying it or doing it without saying it, but automatically it starts to go towards more Hamilton's way. Hamilton was leading Russell for the majority of the race. Russell was faster than Hamilton, but Hamilton was going through tires a lot faster. Russell was just getting ridiculously frustrated. There was a couple of calls to his engineers, to his team going, are we doing the team game or are we just racing? And the response that he got was, we're discussing it. Which to me says they're not wanting to tell him that it's team orders that you don't pass Hamilton because it's less points for him. They just didn't want to tell him. And it just got progressively worse for Russell throughout the race until it ended the way it did. There wasn't going to be a massive comeback. It was orders without giving orders. It was just a horrible, horrible management day for Mercedes. It doesn't happen for Mercedes very often where, in my opinion, they get it this wrong on a race weekend. Granted, there was a lot of frustration from being disqualified the week before. You want to make up for those points. You want to try that much harder. You want to go with your more experienced driver because you trust them to get more points than your second driver, even though there's not supposed to be a first and second driver. It was just ill-managed in my opinion, but I mean, in the end, it doesn't really matter. Hamilton obviously scores more points than, than Russell does just because of the DNF, which is unfortunate for him. It's just, I think they could have managed it much, much better than what they did. If you want to give team orders, give team orders. Hey, you're racing together. Don't pass Hamilton. Just tell him that. Or if you're racing, tell him you're racing each other. Don't leave him in the lurch. Don't leave him guessing on what he's supposed to do because then he just gets frustrated, which means he's not driving the race that he needs to, which means he's not, you know, doing anything that he's supposed to that he would naturally do. His tire wear was worse. His you know, end up, end up being a massive temperature issue with his car. Like I said before, it's just, it was a horrible weekend for Mercedes. They do score points, not as many as they could, in my opinion, if they had proper team management. But of course, when something like this happens, there's always a flip side. One team's horrible weekend are other team's opportunities. Other teams like Alpine and Ferrari definitely needed the points as well as Aston Martin. The more that Mercedes fought with each other and struggled, the closer these guys got to passing and eventually overtaking Mercedes. And they made it look quite easy. They made it look like Mercedes didn't know what they were doing. And it was just, everyone took the opportunity. I mean, when you've got Gasly passing both Mercedes, when you've got Lance Stroll passing both Mercedes with relative ease, you can definitely tell that something is wrong with the Mercedes because they never have that easy enough of a time. Yes, absolutely. It gives confidence to the other drivers that, hey, we can do this, but they got to take that with a grain of salt. It gets them more points just because Mercedes did have an off weekend. But after the retirement from Russell from lap 59 there was i mean it wasn't a whole lot of things happening there was a little racing back and forth there was some passing some overtaking 
Um, when you look at the performance of McLaren, Norris at one point was three seconds, less than three seconds behind Verstappen. He brought it up to three one hundredths of a second, used everything he absolutely had to try to pass Max. It was the closest we've seen anybody this season to challenging Max, and Max played it perfectly. He knew that McLaren was a little bit faster on the straightaway, so he would push them more in the corners so they didn't have as much in reserve for the DRS and for the reserve from the battery that would help them get faster. So he just made Norris literally use up all the reserve that he had, and then he just kind of pulled away. At one point, he was 15 seconds, 20 seconds ahead of Lando Norris. They swapped strategies, or they had the same strategies, I should say, where Max would go in for tires, and then Norris would go in for tires. Instead of trying to get that lap ahead and getting some time and some distance between them, they got tires at the exact same time. They pitted twice, I think, at the exact same time, which means they had the same on track time. They had the same lap time, which didn't help McLaren whatsoever. But hey, it's a learning experience. Lando was able to hold his own against you know everybody else. There was no there was no real threat between or there was no real threat for the front two between Max and Norris. They did have their own race uh, to a certain extent, but it really got interesting and exciting on the last two laps, lap and a half between Checo Perez and Fernando Alonso. It is the battle of the most defensive drivers on the grid and some of the most not tense, but you hold your breath type moments. Like, are you, is he going to pass? Can he pass? He passed. Is he able to hold that position just back and forth and watching the defensive driving skills between the two of them against each other was an absolute masterclass. If you want to show young formula drivers or cart drivers, formula E drivers, anybody in general, how to drive, effectively but defensively while going full speed they need to show the last lap and a half of this race this season it was absolutely amazing the battle for third literally came down to 58 thousandths of a second so that's 0.058 if you're looking at it numerically which when you look at it distance wise is less than the full length of a formula one car. And that was on the very last strip uh, straight away coming to the finish line to set this up. Fernando Alonso has been in third and he's been trying to keep Perez as far back as humanly possible for as long as he possibly can. He's been doing this for about 10 laps, but you can see the time start to slowly come closer and closer. Perez is gaining on Alonso, not significantly, but he's gaining on him every single lap they've got. And when you do the math, you knew it was going to come down to the last lap to two laps for third. Perez needs the points. He needs that confidence boost. He needs the points to distance himself from Hamilton. Alonso needs this because he needs to get the team and himself out of the slump. He needs this podium. He deserves this podium for what he's been put through with Aston Martin the entire season. At one point, Alonso's defending 
Checo's coming up and you've got a lap left. All of a sudden, the move from left to right to left again, Checo takes the corner the way Alonso would have, and he just puts Alonso in that perfect spot where Checo can pass him. And it's it looked to be an easy pass to a certain extent. But if you look at the RB19 compared to the Aston Martin, the RB19 is faster on a straight stretch. It's faster than any other car on the grid. Aston Martin, on the other hand, is some of the best handling and has some of the best corner speed of any car on the grid. So at this point, in my mind, it's a 50-50 balance. It's going to come down to who manages which section better. Can Checo be fast enough through the corners to keep that advantage to the straight stretch where they're swapping DRS, where Perez has DRS behind Hamill or behind Alonso. Then as soon as he passes Alonso, Alonso has DRS, but they're going into corners. Who can hold the other person off long enough? And it looked to be that once Perez had passed Alonso, that it, that was going to be it. He was going to get third. He was going to get the podium. He was going to get the points that he needed. But he still had a full lap that he had to get through. He had to get through those cornering sections and keep the speed against a charging Fernando Alonso with DRS. He went through two DRS zones. He cut, catches up to Perez, passes him at the end of one of the of the last cornering section, and now it's last corner and it's a drag race, and you have to try and get as fast as you possibly can across that line. And like I said, Alonso crosses the line 58 thousands of a second in front of Perez. It was one of the best finishes. I have seen all year of any race and it wasn't even for first, but it's just good quality, solid F1 racing that everybody wants to see. Everybody loves to see. And it was clean. It was two experienced drivers going head to head. It was everything you wanted it to be and a little bit more. This will be on a highlight reel for the Brazil Grand Prix for years to come. And it's not on what not to do. It's what to do and how to do it. And it's just, it's definitely one of those times where when you rewatch the race, if you're a fan like I am, I love rewatching older races. And this is definitely going to be a race that I watched literally for this specific moment and how everything was set up. It was standing up, cheering for both drivers, whether you were a Checo fan or whether you're an Alonzo fan, you're cheering on both drivers because it's so close. It's such an amazing part that you absolutely have to see. And for me, that was the best part of the race. That is the best way to end a race, whether it's for first, whether it's for third, for fifth, for sixth, when it's that close and that exciting, it's definitely worth watching the race. So when you combine the five cars that didn't finish, the wheel-to-wheel -wheel action that you've got, the final lap, final corner type passing abilities that these drivers have, it was one of the best races of the season. I know I say that a lot, but the standard just keeps getting higher and higher and higher. The last two races of this season have a lot to live up to to beat any of these previous races this season, and I can't even wait to see what 2024 looks like. So let's get into your top 10 on how the Brazilian Grand Prix ended. Max Verstappen wins his 17th race of the season by a whopping 8.2 seconds. So, I mean, a lot, a lot further than anybody expected it to be just for the fact that Red Bull seems to be a little bit, uh, the rest of the team seems to be catching up to, to Red Bull just because Red Bull does have that penalty for development. But 8.2 second win by Max. 
Looks like the old Max is back for the rest of the season. Second is Lando Norris. Third, Fernando Alonso. Fourth, Checo Perez. Fifth, Lance Stroll. Another, his race was kind of like his qualifying. It wasn't spectacular. It wasn't, or it was spectacular, but it wasn't flashy. It wasn't highlight reel worthy, but it was a solid race. He stuck to his positions. He didn't do anything stupid. He didn't overthink the race. He ends up in the top five for the first time this year. It's fantastic. Sixth, Carlos Seitz. Seventh, Pierre Gasly. Eighth, Hamilton. Ninth, Yuki Sonoda. Bringing in more points for Alfretari. They definitely need it. Rounding out the top 10, Esteban Ocon. Let's get into our driver's standings as it sits now. Max Verstappen, obviously, in first. He cracks the 500-point mark. He's got 524 points. Checo Perez is in second with 258 points. Lewis Hamilton's in third with 226 points. Fernando Alonso is in fourth with 198 points. Lando Norris is in fifth with 195 points. Carlos Seitz is in sixth with 192. Leclerc is in seventh with 170. George Russell is in eighth with 156 points. Oscar Piastri is in ninth with 84 points. And with Lance Stroll's fifth place finish, he brings himself back up to the top 10 with 63 points. I cannot wait for the last two races of this season, literally just to see how second and third is going to pan out between Perez and Hamilton, how fourth and fifth is going to pan out between Alonso and Norris, and how sixth and seventh will pan out between Seitz and Leclerc. I mean, these guys are less than 12 points, less than 30 points, less than three points difference could conservatively. It's going to be a fantastic end of the season. I believe we're going to see, I don't believe, I know we're going to see these drivers, these six drivers take more risks in spots they wouldn't necessarily take because the points are up for grabs. Points equals cash and as we know cash is king in formula one and you want the bragging rights that you got fourth you got third you got sixth you beat your racing partner that that sort of thing these guys are still competitors they still want to win and whether you're beating someone from another team or you're beating the drive the other driver on your team bragging rights is bragging rights constructors championships top 10 here as as it follows red bull is in first with 782 points Mercedes is in second with 382 points. Ferrari's in third with 362 points. McLaren is still in fourth with 282 points. Aston Martin's in fifth with 261 points. Alpine is in sixth with 108 points. Williams is seventh with 28 points. Alfa Atari is now in eighth with 21 points. Alfa Romeo is in ninth with 16 points. And Haas is in the bottom of the barrel, 10th with 12 points. Williams, Alfa Atari, seven point difference. I expect to see the most challenge and the most risks taken by these two teams for the last two races of the year. We're coming into a race, next race, not next week, week after we got a week break. We're going to the Vegas. No one's been to Vegas before. Is this the right time to take the most risks you've ever taken this season for the points that you need? Or do you wait to the very last race of the year? Everyone's been to Abu Dhabi before. They've done this track before. No one's done Vegas. When is the proper time to take the risks to get those points? That's going to be the biggest question that's going to come up for the rest of the season. And now it's time to look forward and look into the future for our next race. And it is the inaugural, well, not inaugural. They've, they've raced in Vegas before, but this is the new 2023 track. And this is the 
Las Vegas, Nevada race. It is the November 17th to 19th weekend. It's a little different, but it's still a full race weekend. First full practice is on Thursday. Now, they've decided to do this race in North America ridiculously late. Okay, so for example, practice on Thursday is at 10.30 p.m. Full practice on Friday is at 1 a.m. to 2 a.m. And then practice three again is on Friday, but we're looking at 9.30 p.m. on Friday. Pre-qualifying show on Saturday is at midnight to one. Qualifying is on Saturday from one in the morning till two. And now you've got your pre-race show Saturday at 11 or 10, I should say. The race is Saturday night at 11 o'clock till one. And then your post-race show is Sunday from 1 a.m. to two. This is either going to be an amazing race or no one's going to watch it. Saturday is so, so jam-packed. I love it. I mean, I've taken the weekend off to watch this race. I cannot wait for this race. But the times are just so late. Like, we're watching the actual race. The race starts at 11 p.m. Pre-race show is at 10. I mean, depending on your day, you want to be in bed. And it's a Saturday night. This is the first race, as I can find out, in Formula 1 history, where the actual race is on a Saturday night and not a Sunday. Does it make it for a shorter weekend? Yeah, kind of. It also makes for an extraordinarily busy, busy weekend. Like, you're going to watch qualifying at 1 in the morning, and then you're going to be up at, you know, 11, 10 o'clock to watch the race until 1 a.m. Sunday morning. It's, like I said, it's either going to be spectacular or it's going to be a spectacular flop. But there's only one way to find out, and that is to actually tune in and watch the race. And with that, folks, that's it. That's all. That is the breakdown of the Brazilian Grand Prix. I cannot wait to give you guys the breakdown for the Las Vegas Grand Prix. So until then, I will talk to you in two weeks' time.